Hi everyone! Today on What's My Frame, I'm joined by one of the top TV and film editors of our generation, Annette Davey. From my background in content creation and through opportunities I've had to sit in on editing, I have endless respect for editors as the final hands that help craft and shape this collective piece of art that we've all been working on. I have loved and respected Annette's work for years and was so excited when she agreed to join me on the show. She has shattered countless glass ceilings in the post-production and editing space and opened just as many doors for other females to walk through. Annette's resume includes projects like Glow, Made, Waitress, Transparent, and one of this year's standout Emmy hits, Pam and Tommy. Today, Annette shares insight into the editing room, how mentorship was instrumental in shaping her career, and so much more. I can't wait for you all to hear this episode. Let's start the show. Hi, Annette. Thank you so much for joining us on What's My Frame. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Would you mind starting us out with your journey into the industry and how you really blazed a trail for other female editors? I'm, I'm very excited to talk to you <laughs> if, you, if it's not already evident. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I mean, um, I do think, unfortunately, there are a lot less female editors, which, you know, seems kind of strange to me because in some ways, People always think there are more, you know, because it's a more sedentary kind of job, you know, you're not on set all day, but really the percentages are still low. So I'm always happy to talk about it. Um, I had a very interesting path to becoming an editor. I grew up in Australia and um, in Australia, it was very hard to get into the film industry. And I wanted to work in the film industry. And Long story short, I grew up in Adelaide, which is in the southern part of Australia. And I moved to Sydney, which is obviously the bigger city. And when I got there, I was going to study filmmaking, but like semiotics. And I was only really doing that because I thought it would be a path into filmmaking. I didn't really want to study semiotics particularly, but anyway. So, but in the meantime, I went to the unemployment office to, because in Australia, you can go on and off as much as you like. You can be on it for years if you want. Um, anyway, so I went to the unemployment office to, you know, get some unemployment money and they said, oh, what kind of work would you like? And I said, oh, I, I want to work in the film industry. And usually that would be the end of the conversation, you know, they'd be like, okay, fill out this form. Thanks very much. See you in three months. Right. But they were like, oh, we have a job in the film industry. And I was like, really? You do? And anyway, it turned out to be a very, I guess I was really lucky because the job that they had was a program that some very enterprising young women had set up where the government gave 18 young women six months of uh, training in all aspects of filmmaking. And there was one position left. <laughs> so I got that position and it was an incredible opportunity because not only did they train us, but this for six months. So we all got paid. We, you know, this was a while ago, so we ran it as a collective. So, you know, you got paid no matter how much you came to work, but it was incredible. So every day we would either watch movies or we'd have like, you know, a DP or a sound recorder or a production designer come and, you know, show us how they worked and we'd like operate the cameras and um, it was pretty incredible. And then during that process, I, I think I directed a little film and the, um, the woman we had, of like uh, female staff members who were sort of our mentors who were on every day. And the woman who ran the sort of editorial side came up to me and said, um, I think you should really think about this as a career because 
I think you have the right kind of personality and you have some sort of talent, you know, that I can see. So, and it was kind of very fortuitous because I'd actually really enjoyed the editing process. So it wasn't like it was strange, a strange idea to me. Yeah. And she was right. It does sort of, you know, you have to be happy to be alone and, you know, all that kind of stuff and not need a ton of input, but I happen to like that. So, so that's how I got started. So I worked on that project for six months and then that person pretty much became my mentor in Australia. She helped me get my first job as an assistant editor. She ended up running the editing department at the Australian Film and TV School, which I then applied for. So then she helped me during that phase. Um, and in fact, to be honest, she's almost responsible for me coming to America because she introduced me to an Italian editor who was just in Sydney visiting, who um, had, it was a woman called Gabriella Cristiani who edited for Bertolucci and all these famous Italian filmmakers. And the, my mentor, whose name was Rhonda, took me to a lunch with Gabriella. And then through there, um, Gabriella asked me to come and work with her in the States. So, so in many ways, she's been a huge influence in my life. <laughs> wow. Now, from going from Australia to the States, what was mm -hmm. that transition period like? Because I know there is, you know, union hours and qualifications. Yeah. So once you got here to the States, what was that process like? Well, it was, it took a while. Like actually when I first came, I didn't have a work visa and I thought I would be able to get one pretty easily. And I couldn't because, you know, I just wasn't really experienced enough and I couldn't get in the union. So I started sort of coming back and forth. And then I started doing like, then I got my green card. So that made life a lot easier. And uh, then I just started doing whatever small movies I could. And I, you know, probably after about two or three years, I had built up enough hours to join the union. And that made life a lot easier once I joined the union. Because then I obviously could do television and bigger movies and things like that, you know. So, but it definitely took a while and I had to be quite, you know, patient in a sense, you know. Yeah. Now we are very big on mentorship and the importance of that for the longevity of setting realistic goals, as well as just a healthy mindset of the kind right. of divine dissatisfaction that comes along <laughs> with work in the arts. Uh, you're never reaching the elusive goal, really. No, you're not. But, uh, do you have any advice for those that are looking for mentorship mm -hmm. or just to touch on the importance from your perspective um, of how well, Rock really did was really it a huge impact on my life which I, I probably didn't even quite understand the significance of it at the time you know when she kind of took me aside yeah. I just sort of thought oh okay that's nice you know um, but it wasn't until I really started working as an assistant that I realized you know she taught me a lot of stuff in the editing room and um, during the program you know because actually by the end of the program it was quite funny I would say there was maybe six of us left. Most people dropped out. <laughs> really? Yeah, it was very fascinating. And actually part of the program was not only did you learn about filmmaking, they gave us money to make a film as well. Wow. So what we did was because it was very hard to get 18 women to agree on a script, right? So, <laughs> you know, everybody had their own ideas. So what we did in the end was I think every person got like, um, enough material to shoot 10 minutes, whatever they wanted. Okay. And then basically the 
four to six of us that were left by the end, we edited it together, which was actually a fascinating experience. And I doubt that I'll ever get an opportunity like that again to edit, you know, I think by that time, maybe there were 16 people, you know. So there were 16 different stories shot in completely different ways. And we had to try and make that into a film. And that was really challenging. <laughs> so I learned a lot about editing doing that. Um, and that's when my mentorship with Rhonda really sort of solidified. She was very helpful. The program in Sydney sounds not only like a unicorn of an opportunity that there was the funding and specifically for females, mm -hmm. but also just to have that broad of an experience mm. presented. Yeah, I mean, incredible. Yeah, I think the only thing I've heard even remotely similar is some of the, the programs that they have through the TV Academy, but even that mm -hmm. it's not singularly female focused in that yeah. broad spectrum. And I don't think it's ever happened again, to be honest. <laughs> it was very much a once-off thing. I mean, it really was, I happened to go to the unemployment office at the right on the right day. And talk if to I'd the come to you later, then, yeah. yeah, it would have probably not been available anymore, you know. And I think it was a project that, uh, from what I understand, a group of women got together like five years earlier and sort of applied for this grant and kept going back and forth with the government. I mean, Australia likes to give grants to young filmmakers and because the industry is very different there, it's not a studio system, everything is kind of pretty much goes through the government really. So there is a tradition of funding in that way, you know. And there's a lot, in fact, I also got another grant, I forgot about this from the government too, when, um, when I moved to America, there's a, uh, an organisation in Australia, it's now called Screen Australia, but I think I had a different name then. But anyway, they gave me, they paid, I think they just gave me like $5,000 or something, but it was just to sort of help facilitate the fact that I was coming to America and I also won an award from film school and then paid for my ticket. So Australia is very into supporting you in that way. Wow, that's... So that makes it a lot easier. That's incredible. <laughs> that would be so nice in the States. I know. I was pretty shocked when I first got here and they didn't have any of that stuff, you know. Um, again, I was lucky I had it in Australia, so I was able to, you know, take advantage of it there. And by the time I got here, people didn't need it in the same way. But, yeah. you know, yeah. it really made a difference in my life. Yes. Um, but if you're looking to get started in the film industry, um, not specifically editing, but, you know, that's my experience. Mm -hmm. I would just say persist and persevere and get to know people as much as possible because you never know who's going to open a door for you. I mean, it's like when I had lunch with the Italian editor, I wasn't planning to necessarily come here. I'd always had a great interest in Hollywood and, you know, movies and all that sort of stuff, but it wasn't necessarily the next step that I thought I would take. But because I had lunch with someone who was so accomplished, I was like, okay, this is an amazing opportunity. I should, you know, see if I can follow up with this. And I did. And, you know, things changed enormously. So, yeah, I think that is always a hard balance for young creatives to find that when they should follow up, how mm -hmm. they should suggest meeting, especially after the last two years. But I heard it really yes. well put uh, the other day of kind of put it through the filtration of how often would you like to be followed up with or what would you right. Like, how would you like to be requested or, you know, feel like a right. genuine connection or um, respect of work and not just 
a copy paste kind of thing to try to find a right. more or someone to just ping three questions. Yeah. On. And you have to be, um, you know, mindful if someone tells you they're really busy, they probably are. And that doesn't necessarily mean they don't want to talk to you or they're not interested in helping you, but they may, their schedule may just be that it's not possible right now. So I think it's very important not to get discouraged either. You know, yeah. if someone says that, like, you know, you could always say, oh, I totally understand. Would there be a time in the future when maybe it would be more convenient, you know? And I feel like most people don't mind mentoring, you know, because it makes you feel good as well. It's nice to see someone. No, it is. It's nice to see someone else, you know, exactly. getting to do what they want and, you know. Yeah, it is. It is nice to see. I think for, for me, it's always been so, so fascinating when I see young people get excited about acting or Ooh. just like kind of start clicking the mindset. Because for me personally, I've always believed from an acting perspective, that's the biggest hurdle is getting the mindset right so that you, yeah. I don't know, can be a functioning human being and healthy <laughs> while doing this. Yeah. That's, yeah, true. that's very true. And, you know, I do think it is a lot harder for women. Actually, when I went to film school, I had a baby. And I had a three-month-old baby when I went to film school in Australia. And that was quite difficult, mostly because, I mean, again, the government supported me. They gave me, they paid for my childcare. I think I was doing only pay $20 a week. Um, again, the government in Australia paid you to go to film school. <laughs> so I kind of grew up in the glory days when everything was subsidized. Wow. Um, but anyway, but it was very hard. And I really found that there was a lot of pushback towards me having a child and people taking it seriously, that you were serious about your work. So I also am very mindful of that. You know, I don't see any reason why you can't have a child and work. You know, um, there's nothing, men do it all the time. Mm -hmm, they do. <laughs> they they tend to have more support than we do, but you know, um, but it was very interesting. Yeah, it was not, in fact, for a long time, I didn't even tell people that I had a baby just because I felt like if I had, they would have been much more dismissive about me professionally. So yeah. hopefully that's not the case anymore. But it was definitely, it definitely felt like that at the time. Well, that is an excellent segue to my next question because um, obviously you had a wonderful, very supportive experience in Australia as mm -hmm. a female creative. Once yes. you were in the States, I'm curious to see how you have experienced and witnessed the industry change and being more accepting and respectful of women, but also what else, in your opinion, still needs to be done to support women in those more male-dominated mm -hmm. spaces. Yes, I do think it's a lot more accepting now. Like I find, for instance, you know, I've done a lot of TV and on TV you traditionally have three editors, right? And it used to be a lot of the time I would find myself, you know, the whole post team would be male and they would just be me, you know? And I don't just mean the editors, like the post supervisor, the post coordinator, the PAs, the assistants, you know. Many lunch times I sat down with like a little bit you know, 10 or 12 men and I'm the only woman or sometimes maybe there'd be a female post coordinator. I feel like that has really changed enormously, you know, like, um, for instance, when I did the series made, we had three female editors for that. Now, that was very unusual. It was great for the series to have 
women around, I think, because, you know, it's a very female story. That's not to say that men can't do those things at all. You know, I think we all felt very sort of connected to the story. It's still a ways off, you know. I do feel like men support each other much more, you know. I feel like, and I think it's partly because often as a woman, you're the lone woman, you know. So there is no support for you. Whereas men will kind of get together and they'll show each other their work and, you know, help each other out. On Made, we did that all the time, which was really refreshing and nice, you know. And it was kind of funny because we we're all working from our own apartments. So we didn't actually meet in person, but we would share cuts and, you know, discuss things. And that was great. Yeah. Um, and I think the more you can do that, the better, you know. Yeah, I think... Well, I don't know exactly what the reason is behind it, but I I have seen that in all areas of my creative work is that mm -hmm. witnessing men, there is very much that almost like fraternity brotherhood trying oh, yeah. to give really? somebody a job, trying to mm -hmm. get somebody a yeah. lunch. And it's very mm -hmm. different because as women, we're mm -hmm. all very aware that the spaces are more limited. And yes. I think pretty much as a, as a collective, we'd all like to see more females in those seats, but there isn't the same, let me go out of my way. Let me try to connect you with this. Oh. It's just not quite the same level, but hopefully. No, we'll you're absolutely right. Guys help each other out all the time to get their friends jobs. I think it's just because there's not as much space, probably that doesn't happen as much for women. So hopefully it will start, you know, pushing away a little bit more. So we can do more of that too, but I do try and support other female editors as much as I can you know I think it's really important yeah there's not to say that there aren't those females that are giving a hand up the ladder to those yeah, it's, plenty. it's just it's not it's not quite the same I don't think that that's instinctually um for everyone the the, the same female versus male but. yeah and I think also like we don't have the same networks that a lot of guys for instance will have you know in terms of like we may not know the producer or we may not know, you know, everybody else around. So, um, again, we are generally the sole female involved. Not always, you know, it's changing a lot more now. Yeah. But certainly when I first started, it was much more like that. You don't get access to the same kind of, you know, opportunities that perhaps spies will, you know. Yeah. And I don't think it's anything particular. I think it's just you're more comfortable in that world. Yeah, very true. Like we talked about before we started recording, I have a a deep well of respect for editors because you all are the final hands crafting this collective painting that everyone's been working on from the writer's idea to the final, the piece. And I'm just curious, what about your personality really clicked with that, how I would assume daunting responsibility, but perhaps it's not, maybe you, maybe you just like, accept that this is the, the mountain in front of you, but I'm curious how that resonated with your personality and what drew you to that. And then also um, just how do you start when you are either editing a TV show or a film? <laughs> do you start at the beginning and just say, okay, one piece at a time, or what is your style? I do pretty much just jump in um, at the beginning when I'm doing things because especially on TV you're sort of generally under a pretty strict deadline yeah. so you've got to sort of always keep up to camera and things like that and so I this is just what I do I like to assemble things quite quickly and not spend just sort of look at stuff and do it and then put it aside I 
and then I come back and I spend a lot more time rearranging it and redoing it. And I actually really like the rearranging and redoing it side a lot. <laughs> I tend to do it like that. Everybody has their own method. Sometimes, you know, if there's a scene that looks really exciting, I'll cut that first. But usually, especially on a film, well, first of all, they shoot all out of order, obviously. So I try and start with something that's, you know, not too difficult, just so I can get a sense of the material and get to know the actors and what their strengths and weaknesses are, you know. So I sort of ease myself into it a little bit. You know? And I might avoid a big scene for a while. <laughs> I was, you know? Yes. I was going to ask really. how much the director and their style of shooting, how many takes, if they're shooting the rehearsal, right. how that does affect your work once they have mm. passed the torch. It does um, affect it a lot because you only have what they give you, you know? So, um, you know, that can be really easy or it's never really, to be honest, it's never really easy. There's always challenges. Um, but I do really enjoy the challenges. And, you know, the thing I like most about editing is that I feel like I'm reading a book all day or something. Like it's very engaging. I cannot think about, did I go to the post office this morning or did that person call me back? nothing I can only think about the work and that's it and I happen to really enjoy that so I feel like you're kind of lost in this story and I also like you know that you get to choose a lot of the music and you you know put that in and you cut it to the picture you know so for me there's a lot of really fun elements and but most of all I really do enjoy the total concentration that it involves you know the day goes really quickly for me <laughs> That's a good thing. That is a really oh, yeah. good thing. Especially because we have to work 10 hours every day. So <laughs> Yes, you want it to feel like it moved very quickly. Yeah. Now, I would love to dive into your work on Pam and Tommy. Mm. I know it has been one of the most talked about shows of the past year <laughs> for many mm -hmm. reasons. Everybody knows a little bit, but doesn't know really the full story. Mm -hmm. And the way that you all humanized and balanced the strength and vulnerability with Lily James as Pam Anderson. My yeah. mind was blown from the first episode because you, we all saw the trailers and saw the transformation physically and mm -hmm. then actually watch it. It was really incredible in the show. I mean, you know, usually I call the actors by their actors' names. Like for instance, I've just seen a movie with Casey Affleck, right? And I call him Casey all day, not when he's around, but even in the editing room when the director and I talk about things, we go Casey this, Casey that, right? Um, on Pam and Tommy, I never called Lily, uh, Lily, ever. I always thought of her as Pam. And even now, I struggle to say Lily when I think of her. It was that sort of all-encompassing. You know, I didn't really know that much about the story at all, to be honest. Having grown up in Australia, I was kind of aware of it. But, you know, I didn't know any of the details. I didn't know about the whole, you know, disgruntled employee who steals the safe and all that kind of stuff. So... And I really did uh, feel like the writers and the show creators did a fantastic job of making, you know, Pamela's character really sympathetic so that you understood what it was, you know, because this was like probably the first sex tape, I would imagine, right? I, I believe and it, so, yeah. It wasn't by her permission. Not only was it not by her permission, it was a private, intimate sort of document that then was shared around the world, so... 
I felt they really highlighted that very well. And that was very clearly in the script, you know. And we tried to be very protective and kind of, you know, mindful of not being exploitative with the material, which again was, I was very happy to participate in that idea because I did not want to, you know, make it feel like it was a, you know, sort of light-hearted, silly look at things, you know. And yeah, I really did feel for her. The more it went along, the more I was like, oh my God, this must have been awful, you know. I think that they, it was one very well timed because yes. I think telling a female story of sexual mm-hmm. vulnerability, mm-hmm. but also far enough away from how yes. much technology has now changed and how mm. some, some oh, I know. to be salacious. I think it was very interesting to be able to see her yeah. have her life upended like that. But I'm curious how you became involved with the project. And then also oh. as you were editing, how you did help craft and build those those scenes, especially the one with her and the uh, attorney when they were oh, talking. Um, yeah. Just so beautiful. Um, I got involved actually, to be honest, literally through my agent. He pitched it to me and I was like, oh, okay, because I didn't know much about it, you know. And then he told me that Craig Gillespie was going to direct a bunch of it. And I've been a fan of Craig's work for a while. And then somehow they decided that they wanted to, and then he sent me I think the first five scripts maybe and I read them all and then I was like oh my god this is fantastic you know I would love to be involved in something like this and you know then I was I had a meeting with everybody I think I had one of those zooms with like nine people you know <laughs> and um you know it obviously went well and so then I ended up working on it and it was really a really great show to work on everyone was really nice and I don't mean nice, like in a, you know, sort of weak kind of way. You know, everyone was very professional. It's probably a better way of describing it. You know, everyone knew their jobs really well, you know. Um, and there was definitely like a feeling of, you know, we're working on something that's we need to handle carefully and we want it to be done right. Um, and I was very happy with the way it turned out. You know? And yes, that deposition episode, that was quite difficult to do just because, not because it was hard, but, you know, it was very much contained in that one room all of the time, really, yeah. except for a couple of flashbacks. And, again, I wanted to really try and, you know, honour kind of Pamela's journey in there, really, you know. I wanted you to sense, like, how horrible that must have been for her, you know. Yeah. All those men sitting around at a big table asking you all those really personal questions, you know. Yeah, everyone was so skilled and it was so evident to the audience how that you all created this room to breathe and like watch the scene unfold and see her thinking but also keep the pressure tight enough that you felt uncomfortable Mm, (laughs) (laughs) sorry what was that I said I'm glad that worked (laughs) (laughs) it did it totally worked totally worked mission accomplished going off of actors and we don't often have the experience of sitting in. Uh, mm-hmm. We've all sort of gotten this crash course in editing our own self tapes. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious, from your perspective, what is helpful for actors to know and understand about the editing process so that it is more harmonious? Because we don't often mm-hmm. even cross paths on sets. I know. Yeah, I sort of wish there was more back and forth, really. Yeah. Because I think it would be very helpful 
for actors to understand what we do and how we're able to kind of, you know, manipulate things. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a movie a couple of years ago and the director was an actor and I'll never forget we were sitting in the editing room one day and we started talking about ABR, you know what ABR is, right? Where you replace the lines. And he said to me, oh, I hate ADR. I think it's shockingly bad and, you know, it ruins your performance and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, you don't think it's helpful at times? And he's like, no. And then I said to him, "Um, do you know that there's another thing that we quite often do where we, and I'm sure you're aware of this, where we take the dialogue from one take and we put it into the image of another take, right? And he was horrified by that idea. He said to me, oh, my God, that's like, absolutely outrageous how could you do that to us you know he's he's a really nice guy and we're very good friends but he was just like shocked that we would do that and so I was like okay well you know that's fine if that's your you know and then the next day he came in and I showed him this scene I didn't say anything too much he said oh that's great and I said yeah now I'm going to tell you and it was him in the scene because he was in the movie as well I was like now I'm going to tell you that that was take three in your mouth and take six you know of the image and he was like oh my god that's incredible he's like keep doing it it's fantastic (laughs) so he was totally won over by it which was nice to see because you know obviously we're only trying to help really we're just trying to make things as strong as possible it's all about story feelings emotions you know and the consistency i have heard from many friends that have edited that it, mm-hmm. there's nothing worse than like having the scene with the performance that you love and then it for some reason being unusable because it's completely different than all yeah. of the and that does happen yeah yeah um yeah there's a lot of things like that that we have to sort of contend with you know but at the end of the day it's mostly for me anyway I really care about the story so I'm always thinking about how you're going to tell the story better but yeah I think it would be really helpful if editors even just came and sat in the room for a little bit it is quite fascinating how Mm. all build this amazing final product from and I mean I wasn't even aware that like you often have like six takes running simultaneously Mm -hmm. it's there's yeah you all do what you do and we do what we do Because it would not, it would not go well the other way. No, no, we do a lot of, you know, now with technology, we do a lot of like splitting frames and things. I don't know if you know about that where, you know, if there's like a two shot, for instance, right. And we will split the middle of it. So you have one actor's performance again from take three and then the other actor's performance might be from take seven, you know, and you can just join them together because basically it's the same sort of frame, you know. Yeah. And with technology, you can do that seamlessly. So there's a lot of things like that that we do now, which you couldn't do before, which help enormously. Because, you know, before, if you had a two-shot and you weren't happy with one side of the performance, you'd have to either not use it or think of, you know, another way around it. It appears from your resume that you are drawn to more female-driven projects, such as Glow, Maid, Waitress. I loved that. But I'm curious how you select your projects or how you, um, if there's some element that you look for in each, or if it's- I mean, it's true. I do like the sort of female, you know, um, kind of projects, because I think there's not enough of those films and TV out there, you know, so, and it's also fun for me to work on them. Um, I usually pick projects based, I mean, sometimes you can't do what you want to do just based on like, you know, 
timing, which is really frustrating. Like I remember last year I got offered a job that was really exciting. And then they canceled the shooting for another six months. So by the time they came back, I was already on another film and, you know, I couldn't make it work. So things like that can be frustrating. <laughs> but mostly I get a lot of jobs through word of mouth, you know, people that I've worked with will call me directly. Like, for instance, I got a call just last week about something like that. And then um, also I have an agent who helps with that too. And so I really, for me, the script is very important. And I would like to, you know, think about who the director is. Um, but I would say story is maybe more important than anything else, you know. Um, and it helps, obviously, it's a story that you really care about, you know, because you have to put a lot of yourself into editing. Yeah. You know, it's long hours, it's, you know, goes on for a long time. So you have to be really comfortable to sit in that space for months at a time, you know. And you also have to get along with the director too, because, you know, we spend a lot of time together. <laughs> no, you do. I mean, even now, like, you know, um, like I've done, I think, four projects remotely since the pandemic happened. Uh, I, don't think, I don't think I ever went into the office on Pam and Tommy. I went to the mix stage once, and that was the only time I met people in person. Um, so, but even when you're working remotely, you still, you know, it's a kind of intimate sort of relationship, you know? So you talk about feelings all day because you're talking about what the character's feeling and what they might do and what's the logical sort of development of that. You're trying to create, you know, make sure that the, you know, story and the tone is consistent. Those things are very important to me. I mean, obviously I like it if there's really, you know, fabulous actors attached as well. If I can get all three of those things, genius. No, it's true. You know, because I can bring so much to, you know, the words. It can be incredible. Now, you have a resume that most people would be extremely envious of, but I'm <laughs> curious if there are either creatives or a project that really excites you that it's something in the future that you would love to take on. Perhaps it's just oh. something personally you would just you know be working on. You know what I would love to do is, weirdly enough, and I never wanted to do this before. I would love to do like something that was like sci-fi or even like an action piece or something. Yeah. Partly because, I mean, I actually, you know, I worked on Battlestar Galactica and the thing I, I didn't know much about that show at all before I worked on it. And when I went to work on it, I realized that what made that show really great was not really that it was set in space. It was actually that it was a fantastic script and it was a fantastic story that just happened to be set in space. You know, and I think there's a lot of sci-fi that's like that. They often have really adventurous storylines, you know. Yeah. So something like that would be really fun. And plus, I'd like to do an action movie just because I think not enough women do them. Only in my adult life have I started seeing even more female superheroes and action right. stars. It's only just now. And I believe... Just starting, right? Yeah. There was one with Jessica Chastain. Mm -hmm. And it was right. all female cast. Penelope Cruz was in it. And I, yeah. I was recently on a plane and I was like, Me too. <laughs> I was like, there's no reason that this should not be offered exactly. every yeah. summer as an action yes. movie to go and see. Be part of the sort of, you know, selection of action movies that you have. That would be great. But I think it is changing, you know. But yes, that would be fun to do something like that. Yeah. All right. And that the last question that we ask everybody on the podcast is what is one thing you would go back and tell your younger self? Oh, gosh. 
oh my God, that's a really hard, what would I tell my younger self? Um, be brave. That's what I would tell myself. Because I think it's, it's very easy, especially when you're trying something that's not always comfortable to, you know, not be as confident about it as you should be. And I think, unfortunately, from my point of view, that's a sort of slightly female attitude. I think men are much better at sort of grabbing the, you know, seizing opportunities and feeling like they deserve it. Yeah. And I think we could do more of that. I think it's changing a lot, you know? Yeah. But I think it's going in the right direction, at least. We're just trying to get a little bit more, like, a little yes. more speed behind it. push would be good. Yes. <laughs> but, yeah, I think if you can be brave and, you know, feel confident that you can do it, because, of course, you can. Yeah. You know? And to be honest, that's half the key, feeling confident. And thank you so much. I I could easily spend another hour with you. I want to be respectful of your time. <laughs> I'm very happy to talk about these things because you know it's quite important. I think you know, especially the female oriented stuff. You know, have a ways to go before it's equal. You know, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Hi everyone. Thanks for listening. And to my guest today, Annette Davy. Thank you for being the absolute best part of our creative community. I'm Laura Linda Bradley, and we'll see you next week on What's My Frame. <laughs>